0: All right, it's good to have everybody here today. Um, I am not Dan Elward, nor am I Pastor Brown. Of course, Pastor Brown is on vacation. Dan Elward was scheduled to speak uh, this morning, but uh, he's not been feeling well this past week. He called me on Friday and uh, asked me if I could fill in for him, and I said, I sure can. So he's feeling a little better. I talked to him yesterday, and uh, he's feeling a little better. But uh, So I'll be speaking today. And Pastor will be back next week uh, in this class. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4. As I look around, I don't see anybody that would need a Bible other than... uh, If you need one, I have some up here. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. Whenever you get asked to teach something in the last minute, you usually spend more time figuring out what you're going to do than you do actually preparing for it. But after I heard Friday morning, uh, went through a few things, and I pulled out a message that I call BC because I I, pres- I put this message together before computers. So you can see here on my my notes, and I didn't want to transfer them all over this week, uh, <clears throat> but I last spoke on this May 5th, 1985. I don't know if anybody was there that day. Excuse me. I did borrow a few things when I did this. Uh Uh, Warren Wearsby is one of my favorite authors. He does the B series. The outline really be his. And it's been so long ago. I don't know who else I stole this stuff from. I'm sure I got some from MacArthur. Probably I got some from other people, but I just want you to let you know that, you know, we speakers do steal a lot of stuff and we don't plagiarize it because really these guys want you to use their material. You know, we don't want to have to reinvent the wheel, but, uh, so, I just wanted to throw that in. We're talking about the secret of contentment this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. So I'll begin reading there. Paul says here, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. For what the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content that's what we're really titling this lesson the secret of being content it goes on to say in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in one I can do everything through him who gives me strength how many of you have heard that verse before how many of you quoted that verse before yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many heard that verse before? Quoted many times. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this time we can meet together for what we've already uh, experienced in our fellowship and our worship of of you. We pray for the other classes that are going on uh, right now. Thank you for our children's ministry workers, and uh, bless them as they lead our uh, young people at this time. But I pray now at this uh, short time that we're together now, we would concentrate on your word, that we would maybe not so much learn something new, but be reminded of something that we already know. And, Father, we know it's not so much just knowing the Word of God, it's practicing and doing. And oftentimes we need to make account of whether we are practicing or whether we're doers of the Word and not hearers only. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and direct. Be the teacher today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we set the stage here for this book, if you've studied the book of Philippians at all, or you've been in a study, you know that one of the key words in this book is the word joy. Uh, used many times. Really, uh, when I, 1976, it was kind of, everybody was having these life verses, and I feel I need to have one of those, and the one that I picked was Philippians 4.4. You know, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. And so whenever I would would sign something or put something down, I would put Philippians 4.4 with it. It's a book that Paul wrote to a, a church that was approximately 10 Twelve years old at the time of this writing, he was the part of starting this church in the city of Philippi. Now he's writing this letter from a certain place. Anybody know where he's writing this from? Where is he at when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He's in prison. What is he in prison for? Did he murder somebody? No. What was he in prison for? For preaching the gospel. The authorities said, "Don't preach the gospel." He said, I have to obey God rather than man. He preached the gospel. He was he was taking the circumstances of disobeying. Well, that's a time where you have to disobey man to obey God. Prison was not like maybe you would think of it. it most likely it was in some kind of a uh, place where he was with just a guard, chained to a guard, maybe like an apartment type of situation. It wasn't so much in a prison with the bars that we always think of. But that's where he was. He's... Uh, this is one of the what's called the prison epistles. He wrote several times, uh, several letters. Uh, that's one thing about Paul. He was a busy, going, going guy. All of a sudden, he slowed down in prison. So what did God use him for? He started penning letters that, became inspired, or that were inspired, that became part of our Bible. So he's in prison for preaching the gospel. These church leaders in this uh, uh, church were already recognized. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1 we see that it says here that he's writing this to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the deacons. Overseers is another word for what? What's an overseer? Pastor, pastor, an overseer, an elder. Those words are used interchangeably in scripture uh, by the writers. So they had leadership, they had deacons who were serving uh, even as a young church. Uh, This church was a source of joy to Paul. Look at verse number 3 of that same chapter. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to the completion under the day of Christ Jesus. So he had great joy in this church. Not all the churches Paul started gave him joy while he was here. Of course, the Corinthian church, he wrote a letter to them and all he dealt with was problems and situations. And he still had some, you know, affection for the church. But this church here was a special church to him. Uh, the church was under persecution at this time. Verses 29 and 30 would tell us that. They weren't so much being thrown in jail at this point. But there was some pressure being put on him from the powers that be. Because these, the, these people did not like this gospel message. It went against the message of the day uh, of this area. Uh, they were marked by faithfulness and obedience, the scriptures would tell us also. And so at this point, this church sends a messenger to minister to Paul. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. Verse 25 of chapter tw- uh, 2 says, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the fellow that the church chose to take some, whatever it was, money, food, clothing, whatever it was, something Paul needed. And so at this time, you know, they they couldn't send it UPS. They couldn't send it FedEx. You know, they had to send somebody to take it. So Epaphroditus was this person. Epaphroditus, I should say. He calls him my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, again, we don't know exactly what these needs were, but he had some. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Here they send this fellow, this guy volunteers to go to Philippi to take what he needed to take to Paul. He gets there, he gets sick. Not only did he get sick, the Bible tells us, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me. God saw in his will to heal him from whatever he had. He was almost deaf, and Paul rejoiced in that. And so at this point, he, and he, Paul goes on to say, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, here I am, I'm in prison. You guys send me a gift. You send this fellow here, and he died. That was just going to be, wow, that was going to be a lot. But God saw fit to heal him. And he goes on to say, God, have mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Paul experienced anxiety. We hear that word a lot. You know, he had those feelings inside sometimes that we get where things aren't right, things aren't where they're supposed to be. And uh, Paul's very honest. He, he didn't come across as a super Christian that never was affected by the sin and the things of the world. So here we have this fellow, this messenger sent. Go over to chapter 4, verse 18. I already read this. But he says there, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So here we see the kind of the background of what Paul is speaking from here as he gets to, to the end of his letter. Um, you just get through in the first part of chapter 4, just a great portion of scripture about what we are to do as, as children of God. We are to concentrate on things that are good, things that are lovely, things that are pure. He says we should, uh, we should rejoice all, always. We shouldn't be anxious about anything, but we should be in prayer. Great portion of Scripture. And at the end of that portion of Scripture, look at verse 9. Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And it almost seems like when Paul says that, now he gives them a demonstration of what he wants them to practice. And that's really what the Christian life should be. You know, oftentimes we think of the Christian life as someone getting up here like me, telling a bunch of people what they need to do. You know, we talk about preaching and we talk about teaching. And those are important. We talk about parents, you know, we need a time where we have our children set down and we instruct them and we tell them what they need to know. And, but really, the Christian life is more than that. Being a pastor, being a teacher is more than just telling somebody what to do. Because we've all heard this saying, of course, you know, you know do what I say, not what I do. And the Bible's very clear that we are to be very conscious not only of what we say, but of our actions. And hopefully, as I get up here and speak today, what I'm speaking on is something that I'm just going to say, well, I don't really do any of this. I I don't think anybody can do this. But here's what the Bible says we're to do. No, we are hopefully modeling. We're not perfect, but we're modeling some of these things that we'll talk about. Paul was a model. Paul was a type of guy. He could say, all right, you want to learn what it is to be a Christian? Watch me do it. Now, Paul wasn't Perfect. He wouldn't tell them to model his bad points because everybody had them, even Paul. And we need to do that too. And it's a, it's a blessing. Now my child now is uh, twenty, what, six or seven. That's my child. That's my little boy. And you look back on your children, and you, and now when I see him and I see things he do, and we will hear this, and you guys that have children and grandchildren, you'll see, you know, you'll see him do something, and you'll go, boy, it's just like his mom. Or, you know, or that's just like his dad. And the thing is, when it's a good thing, for instance, my son is, is very good with his finances. And, you know, he's, he's pretty frugal. And, you know, when we see that, we say, that's just like his mom. That's not me, man. I was the one when I go into a store, I just buy what I wanted. You know, I don't buy a lot, but I go in, I'll have one of those and two of those. Um, but Benita's different. She really helped balance me on that. So it's good when we hear the positive ones, but when you get the negative ones, that's usually the, well, he's just like his dad. You know, a lot of times those are the negative ones. But when there is a good one once in a while, that's a great, that's a great feeling. That's because you feel like they didn't just hear that from you. They saw it. Paul was that type. Matter of fact, someone has said Paul was more of a thermostat than a thermometer. A thermostat rather than a thermometer. A thermometer does not change anything around it, does it? You know, we, I just bought Benita one for her birthday, I think, last year, where you stick it on the window and see how warm it is. But all a the thermometer does is tell you what the temperature is, as it goes up or goes down or whatever. The thermostat, though, regulates the surroundings and changes them when they need to be changed. We even have thermostats today that you can program at certain times that they'll control the, the temperature, where you want it to be. So some people are like thermometers... They lacked the power to change things. Instead, they let things change them. Paul wasn't a th- wasn't a thermometer. He was a thermostat. Paul was a type of person that, when he had his spirituals up and downs, as we all do, those situations changed around him. He went right on, steadfastly doing his work, serving Christ. His personal references at the close of this letter indicate. That he was not the victim of circumstances. He was the victor over circumstances. And we need more thermometers in the church today. We look at this chapter in verse 11. Paul says he could accept everything. Paul said in verse 13, he could do everything. Paul said in verse 18 that he had everything. But you say, wait a minute, he's in prison. As far as we know, Paul didn't own anything, didn't have a bank account, didn't have a 401k, didn't have a retirement. But he said he had everything. We're going to see why he could say that as we look at these verses. Paul did not have to be prepared to be content. He found his contentment in the special resources abundantly provided by Christ. And he's an excellent example for us today. As we look at God's word and we see this word contentment, what does it mean? Let's define it first. What do we mean by contentment? Let's find out what it's not first. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. Some people just kind of want to sit around, not do anything, not attempt anything. And they just sit around and say, well, I'm just content with where I'm at. We see in the Old Testament, there's an example of this, Joshua. Joshua was told by God to leave the wandering. He was going to lead the children in the promised land. Remember, they went in, they overtook Jericho. All of a sudden, they got into all kinds of problems. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 7, Joshua said this, If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. matter of fact, uh, I don't know if that was Joshua, but the people saying that to Joshua probably at that point. Why don't we just be content? Stay in the wilderness. That is not contentment. That would have been what? Disobedience. So we need to realize that contentment is not complacency. Also, let me say this too about that. The complacent believer is unconcerned about others while the contented Christian wants to share his blessings with others. That's another thing about someone who thinks they're being content, but they're really being complacent. They just want to kind of put a wall around themselves. You know, don't bother me. You know, don't get into my space. You know, I just kind of want to, I'm having enough trouble just holding on myself. And people wall themselves in, and that's the worst thing you can do. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm not immune to this. There's times when I go through some down cycles in my life. I just don't want any people around. I don't want to be bothered with anybody else's problems because I'm trying to deal with my own. But that is not the answer. Because the answer is, is when we can get involved with other folks, God uses that to really help us to in our everyday struggle also. So it's not complacency. It's also not a false peace based on ignorance. Have you heard this, this term? Ignorance and bliss. You heard that before? That's how some of us like to live. It's like, you know, I don't want to know anything about anything. I don't want to hear any problems. I don't want to hear anything. Just let me alone and I can just stay here and what I don't know won't hurt me. And that, some people say, I'll just be content. That is not being content. Contentment is not to escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. So as Christians, we are commanded to be involved. We are in the battle. When is our rest time going to be? When we get home. This is not heaven. This is not heaven, folks. We are to be in the battle. The Christian life is tough. It's rough. It's rewarding. But it's tough at times. Paul experienced that. We have two other important words in verse 11. Uh, We have the word learned and this word content that's going to be bringing. I look at verse number 11 where it says, I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content. Now that tells us right there that Paul didn't get saved and just say, boy, I'm content. It wasn't one of the things that took place at the moment of his salvation. Because Paul said, this is something I had to learn. This is something in my many years of being a Christian now. How many is it? 50, I guess. No, not quite 50. 40-something years I've been a Christian. This is something that I have to say, I have not learned it yet. Matter of fact, I have a hard time saying I've learned anything. I like to say I'm learning. Because one, if I get to the point where I say, oh, yeah, I've got that all together, I know that. God knocks me off my feet and I say, boy, I thought I knew that. So I like to always say, I'm learning this. I can admit, I can tell you I'm farther along in this than I was some 40-something years ago. Some of you are probably farther along than me. But we're in this process of learning. This word means uh, you, you learn through many, or Paul says here, he learned through many difficult experiences over the years. That's what circumstances, that's what experiences do. They give us opportunities to learn, not only about ourself and our weaknesses, our sinfulness, but also about our God and how great he is. And we're going to look at three of those things here in just a second. But he also said content. This word here means contained. It's a description of a man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend on substitutes from without. That's kind of the original meaning of the word. You you, you have stuff within you, so you don't have to rely upon everything around you. Now, in that day, they used that in a sense of more of a humanistic approach that the person had it within themselves to be content. But we know that's not true for the Christian. The Greek word itself... It comes out to mean self-sufficient. And this was a favorite word for the Stoic philosophers of the day. But for the Christian, we're not sufficient in ourselves. We are sufficient in who? Christ. So because Christ lives within us, we are adequate for the demands of life. There's nothing. That's why the Bible says, There's nothing that is taken you which is not common to man. And with each of these circumstances, each of these trials that the Lord brings our way, he's not going to put on you more than you're able, he says. You'll be able to withstand them. You'll be able to bear them because we have, as a Christian, the strength within us to endure them, to be victorious in them. So we're, we're adequate for the demands of life. Paul learned, he experienced this thing about being content. Matter of fact, when he gets to the last, one of the last books he wrote in 1 Timothy, he says this. Godliness what? With contentment is great gain. I have to admit this week when that verse came to my mind, I had it wrong. I know that verse like the back of my hand. I've quoted it many times. But you know what? I misquoted that verse. I couldn't believe I did it. And here's how I quoted it. Happiness with contentment is great gain. I actually thought that's what the verse said. Happiness with contentment is great gain. I had to look it up and say, wait a minute, that's not what that verse says. It's godliness. And I say, why, why did I have that wrong? Because you know what? The world bombards us with that message. That's the message of the world. Happiness. What are happiness? Happiness are all those things around us to make us happy. All the things we get. Happiness and then being, you know, kind of content with it. Boy, that's great gain. That's the world's philosophy. And as I've walked, that philosophy had creeped into my mind. And I had to confess, God, sorry, I I got that wrong. It's godliness with contentment that is great gain. We're going to see three uh, three spiritual truths that make us adequate, that gave Paul contentment, and they can give us Contentment. The first one would be in verse ten, where he experienced the overruling providence of God. One of the great truths of the Bible to help us to be content and no matter what our circumstances. And folks, do we live in a, a society that is discontent? Whew. I mean to tell you. I haven't worked for a few months, so I have to go back a little bit in my but I remember The last job I was on, most of the talk by the people around me will center on things that they are not happy about. I'm not getting enough money to do this. So and so got the promotion, I didn't. You know, what's going on with our retirement? They know what they're doing. Negative things, negative things. Things that I can't control, I can't change. But the Bible says that we need to be contented. Now, the overruling providence of God we see in verse 10 when when Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Remember, I told you this church was some 10 years old. They had given Paul some gifts in the past. But here Paul was, he was in a situation where he was in need. But Paul was a type of person, he didn't go out broadcasting his needs. He broadcast them to God. You know, he didn't send a prayer letter out as a missionary and say, I'm out here, I'm in prison, I don't have nothing, guys. Help. No. God let these people know that their servant had a need and God spoke to their heart to send somebody to help that need. Now, If I would have been Paul, thankfully I'm not, or we probably wouldn't have all these great scriptures we have. But if I would have been Paul, and that was me, I'm sure what I would have thought was this. I would have thought, boy, it's about time. You know, this church I helped start. They're doing pretty good over there. I'm in need. What took them so long? What's the matter with these people? I would have been a little frustrated with them probably. I don't think I would have wrote back like he did and thanked them and sent the guy back with them and just rejoiced because, sad to say, oftentimes in my life, I don't see the providence of God like the Apostle Paul does. You see, Paul said, right when I needed it most, the timing was perfect that you sent this need. God understood that every circumstance, everything happens in life God molds together. You know, there's no accidents in life. There's no luck in life. I've I've taken that word and completely got it out of my vocabulary. I don't believe in luck. God orchestrates the things that go on and causes the purposes that He wants to happen for His will. That's exciting. That's great. So that means when a circumstance happens in my life that I'm like, what is this about? I don't want this circumstance in my life. If we look at it like Paul did, saying, wait a minute, this is an accident. This just didn't happen out anywhere. God's got a purpose in this. And we start looking at it from a little different perspective than we usually do. God, or, or Paul understood, he had learned about the providence of life. He had experienced that many times in his life. And this is a guy that did not have what we would call an easy life. Matter of fact, you know, we hear a pastor talk about our health and wealth friends that preach a gospel that that God wants every Christian to have their pockets full and just running over and having boats and all these things. All you got to do is ask for it. But, you know, you never hear them guys talk much about Paul. Because if Paul was a health and wealth type of guy, he was definitely missing the boat. He didn't have the boat either. This guy went through hard, hard times. But yet, God says over and over how that he was a servant that was pleasing to him. So he understood the providence of God. I could spend some time going back at Joseph. Great story. You want to see the providence of God. How all these circumstances, all these people trying to do wicked things, evil things to Joseph. His brothers throw him into prison. He gets sold into slavery. God promotes him. God uses all that in the end to have the children of Israel be fed during the time they were starving. And Joseph says these great words in Genesis 50. God did send me before you to preserve life. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's what Paul said when he wrote in Romans, all things, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And I had a teacher back in school, and you see that word all? All means all. That's all all means. Everything. All things work together for good. God and his providence had caused the church of Philippi to become concerned about Paul's needs, and it came at the very time Paul needed uh, their love the most. And they sent Paul a gift. Now they had been concerned, or they had they had been concerned, but they had lacked the opportunity to help. Many Christians today, we have opportunities, but we lack the concern. There's opportunities all around us. matter of fact, there's so many, I think that's what throws us sometimes. It's like, there's just too many. I can't meet them all. Well, God doesn't expect to meet every person's needs. But he has one or two or three or four that he may want to use us with. So we see the providence of God being a wonderful source to help us with our contentment. Secondly, we see the unfailing power of God in verses 11 through 13, the unfailing power of God. At verse number um, 11 we read here, "I am not saying this because I'm need or I've learned, but for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty." Paul had experienced both perspectives. Many of us have maybe experienced both perspectives of that in our lifetime. I don't know where you're at right now, on which end of that perspective. But Paul had said, I've experienced both of those. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether I'm uh, prospering or not prospering, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him that gives me strength. Pastor Austin talks about context of verses. This is one of the verses in the Bible that's probably pulled out of context more than just about any verse in the Bible. Some people pull this verse out and, man, they, they'll say this, you know, oh, you know, I can, I can be the top of my class. I can go to the best college in this country and I can be number one because I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Huh, well then, let's see. I could take that verse, and you know what? I'm 55 years old, but you know what? I think I can still play for the Detroit Lions. You know, they didn't win a game last year. Because I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Now you laugh, and and I'm overstating that, for example. That is not what this verse is saying. What is the context here? It's living in prosperity or living in poverty. It's having everything, it's not having everything. What Paul had learned, he can do everything. Anywhere in that perspective, he can handle it because of Christ being in him. And we need to realize that Paul had learned to be satisfied with little. To be satisfied with little. Satisfaction is not dependent on what the world defines as what you need. What do I mean by that? pastor talks about the television. Why was the television invented? It wasn't to entertain us. It was to tell us what? What we need. Commercials are designed to tell you, you don't have this, you need this. And we have been bombarded through that and other medias of what our needs are. And then people get this and then they say, well, I'm out to get all these needs filled. And then they go out and they get in way over debt or they get stuff that they don't really need and they don't know how to pay for it. But Paul said he was satisfied with little. Now, is it wrong to have things? No. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for those things to have you. And that's what happens to many people. Many people in our world today, they think they have all these things, but they don't really. Those things have them. There was a story told on, as I was reading this week. Uh, one of the sermons John MacArthur p- preached on this portion of Scripture. And he told a story about a, a little girl who heard his lesson on this portion of Scripture. And this little girl came in the next Sunday and she had a little paper project that she put together. And this paper project, uh, the girl wrote on the front of it, uh, we have food and, co- and covering therewith to be content, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. And that was on the front. The pastor opened it up. Suddenly there was trees that started kind of showing itself, popping out on the page. And it says there, I'm thankful to share my yard with other kids. And then the next page says, I'm thankful to share my room. And there's a picture of her bed and two pillows, and no doubt she was probably sharing her room with some other siblings in the home. And it said, I'm thankful for a little food. And she got food on a table and looks like an egg and a box of cereal, Pastor MacArthur said. And then I'm thankful for a few clothes, she writes. And then finally, at the end of their little project, she said this. Dear Pastor, thank you for teaching us to be content. I will remember what God gives us. I will remember that God gives us what we need. I will be satisfied with a little bit. And when things go wrong, I will remember that God controls my life. Love, Tara. Pastor went on to say in that situation that she got it. You know, she got it. He even said, "This book, that book ought to be published. To be satisfied with the little might be the most precious lesson you could teach a child. A very precious, for many of us, our grandchildren, we have opportunities for that. We need to realize that we need to be content with little if that's what God sees fit for us to have. We see here that Paul said the secret. Oh, let's look at the word here, um, initiate or instructed. He used this word instruction again when he gets the unfailing power of God. Now, Paul is not complaining here. We ought to remember that. He's not complaining when he's talking about his need. His happiness did not pin on circumstances of life. His joy comes from something deeper, something apart from either poverty or prosperity. Now, as we get to the next verse, says he had learned the secret of contentment. Now, this word is different from the other word learned. This word is used uh, by the pagan religions of the day and talks about their inter-secrets. Through trial and testing, Paul was initiated into the wonderful secret of contentment in spite of his poverty or his prosperity. And verse 13 really gives us a keen insight into this secret. And it's really not that big of a secret in sense that you know, it's for us to know. It's for us to know. It's not something hidden where you got to kind of delve through the Word of God and read between the lines. It's nothing like that. Verse 13 puts it this way. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. It was the power of Christ within Him that gave Him spiritual contentment. In my life, there's been times when I've been in great need. Probably the one that I always refer back to because it was such a crisis period of my time, was when I had cancer, thought I was going to die. The doctors were not very favorable. This was some twenty, how long ago now? Twenty-five years ago, and I was pastoring a church at the time, first year pastor in the church. I tell people the one of the few times where a pastor went to a church; they all had to visit him. You know, he couldn't visit them. And the Lord was just, you know, all this stuff was going on. I never planned to, this was how it'd be to go out and be part of a church, start a church. But God brought all these circumstances in my life. I was at the weakest point physically I have ever been. I went down to, my wife says 140. I can't believe I ever weighed 140. I don't remember. But I know I was skin and bones. I've got pictures to prove it. I'd lost all my hair. You know, i looked look like death warmed over. I remember being on the couch, being so weak, I literally had to take my legs and just move them off the couch. And uh, despite all that, that year of going through, that wasn't the whole time. That was just the one point where it was really bad. But I say all this to say this, that the times that I was the weakest physically, I learned something. I experienced something that I would never have known any other way without going through that. And some of you can identify, you've gone through some similar situations, maybe even worse than that. But that verse says that when I am weak, he is strong. You know what? That verse is true. I can tell you that because I experienced it. Because at that time in my spiritual life, I was as strong as I've ever been. I've not been as strong since then. Because God supplied for me what I couldn't supply for myself. And it, it you, you, if you can't hardly explain it, you can't explain it. How you can be so weak, but then when you're weaker, depending on Him, and that opens up that power to Him to use you like you should. When I preached at that time, I could hardly stand up. I even preached sometimes sitting down. During that time, I experienced God working through my life like I never had before. I've experienced it. I learned that secret. Paul had learned that secret during this, that time. You see, when things happen in our lives bad, we want to panic. We want to say, God, you know what you're doing? I even did that during that time. But if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't experience what Paul is talking about here. Not to the degree that I did. I might have experienced it in some lower levels of that. Paul de- depended on the power of Christ at work in his life. Uh, J.B. Phillips puts it this, this way. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. We're ready for anything. You know, I'm 55 years old now. I can look ahead of some of the things that are probably going to be taking place in my life. I don't like to dwell on them. You know, getting old is not fun, is it? I don't know what the future holds. So I can panic about it. I can get all upset about it. I can get anxious about it. I can get worried about it. Or I can say, God, I don't know when I get there, I'm just going to have to trust you like I'm trusting you right now. That's the only thing I know to do. And that is part of being content, isn't it? I can't get in the future. You see things that people are experiencing. I may have to experience that someday. I can't go there. It's not time for me to go there. Thirdly, we'll be done. Paul also knew the unchanging promises of God. In verses fourteen through twenty, he knew God had promised to meet each need that he had. You know, I, I quoted that many, many times to people when people are going through hard times. They don't know how they're going to get this. How. I had a guy call me this week from work, very negative. He's a Christian, but his, this is happening, and these guys did this to me. I listened to it all. Finally, he got to the end, and I said, George, I said, You're a Christian, right? He says, Yeah. I said, What's God promised you? Has He promised to supply all your needs? He's got a new baby, it's on the way, his first one. Yeah, He has. I said, Well, you think we can trust Him? He's going to meet your needs. I know these are some negative things going on here, but yeah, He says, I, Yeah, you're right. You know, we need, I need to trust God. He is going to supply. I don't know how he's going to do it yet. Promises of God. God has promised to supply all of our needs, but maybe not all of our greeds. And that's the one thing that people struggle with in life. Hudson Taylor, if you've ever read anything by him, he says this, When God's work is done in God's way, for God's glory, it will not lack God's supply we can apply that verse or what that's saying to our personal lives we can supply that verse to our church you know I mean we've been a church now for blah 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 I'm, I'm doing a lot of math today I wouldn't know it was going to be a math class but what eight years now we've been a church you guys are still sitting in them old hard chairs we can grumble and complain about it we're still in a building we don't own it's, you know what are we going to do well here's what we can do we can be content with what we have. I mean, it could be a lot worse. And you say, can? Yeah, it can be. But be content with what God has, but not be complacent. We're still expecting. Don't know when. Because God's timetable is not our timetable. If it was my timetable, but not if it was your timetable, we would be sitting on something nice and cushy today, you know? But we have to be content and trust God that He knows best, that He can work the circumstances out, the timing out the way it needs to be met. This morning, I hope you've been encouraged. As I was encouraged, I look at this again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll close with this. As we go out in the world, as we want to be represented as the Lord Jesus Christ, the one thing that will reflect Christ more than anything is our being content in Him. Our being content in Him. When everything's falling apart out there, everything's going haywire, we're in the midst of circumstances that we can't control. If people sense a piece of God that we have, they're going to see something they need. And then we have the opportunity then to say, Hey, this is not some secret thing. This is something that you need too. People want to see Christianity, not just hear it. And if we're falling apart like everybody else in the world, what kind of message do we have to them that's any different than what they already have? That's why this is so important. That's why Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you again for your word. Thank you for each person that's here. You know each situation. You know each place that this needs to be applied in each of our lives. I know how you applied uh, applied it to my life this past few days. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit now would convict where need be. Maybe there's some folks who need to confess some sinful areas of thinking or some things that they've said. And Father, may your power help us to overcome this area of being uncontent. We love you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much.